Hello, and welcome into another episode of the Gallant Says Podcast, available to you on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe. Please leave a rating, perhaps even a review. I appreciate all the support. Sorry about last Friday. We had some technical issues, and I had an early flight out to Los Angeles the next morning. I couldn't figure them out in time to actually get something up after the Seahawks and that debacle of a game against the Rams. So let's get to that. Oh, Tragic loss that also saw Russell Wilson get injured. I was just kind of curious what Paul gets to see. You are definitely living in the hindsight world today, Paul. You grow up, motherfucker. You kidding me? Paul Gillan, what the hell is wrong with you? Where the fuck am I supposed to begin with the Seahawks' loss? 26-17 to the Rams this past Thursday. Because I feel like I am going to dive into a lot of the same topics before we even get into Russell Wilson's injury. That this defensive scheme is really easy to beat over the middle. As the Rams highlighted once again, that it also might be easy to beat over the top. Sidney Jones, you are not good at football. But Sidney Jones is the one that gets released this week. It's Trey Flowers instead, who also has had his issues at cornerback. I mean, this secondary outside of Quandre Diggs and sometimes DJ Reed, what are you getting out of it? Jamal Adams, he had his issues in coverage on that tight end out. And I'm not going to blame him for the deep pass downfield because that would have been a tough play for any safety to make. But the guy's not great in coverage and he's not getting the sacks that he got last year. He and Bobby Wagner, to me, are glorified tackle hoarders. So that's your defense. But now, Russell Wilson's going to be out for at least four weeks, if not longer. As we saw in that game against the Rams, he ruptured a tendon and had a fracture dislocation in his right middle finger. And this puts the Seahawks in a worse spot than you would think. Because, yes, they're going to have to deal with Geno Smith at quarterback for the next couple of games. Geno Smith had that great 98-yard touchdown drive when he first came in. If you're expecting that to happen week in, week out, you're crazy. I'm not thinking about the short term with Russell Wilson. I'm thinking about the long term. Russell Wilson cares about his legacy, right? Well, this is going to put his legacy on full display. Let's be honest, over the last five years, who's been propping the Seahawks above water? Has it been Pete Carroll? Maybe, partly, But it's mostly been Russell Wilson and his ascension to being one of the NFL's best quarterbacks. After an offseason where he complained, whined, as Pete Carroll described it, about his own offensive line, here he is, getting injured. Who's going to get blamed for that? The people who constructed the offensive line, the offensive line itself, everyone around him, because we know that Russ... As a guy that's me, me, me. I'm not saying that's necessarily the worst thing in the world. A lot of athletes are like that. But the worst part about Russell Wilson being out is that now it is going to be on full display what the Seahawks are without him, which I'm guessing at best is a mediocre football team. And Russ is going to sit back much the same way that he was sitting back and watching this past Super Bowl, and he's going to see it even more so than he probably already did. He's going to look at that defense and say, how am I winning with this? He's going to look at 
whatever happens to Geno Smith, who I'm sure will be sacked a fair amount of times, and he's going to say, how the hell am I supposed to work with these guys in front of me? Yeah, he has good wide receivers. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. Yeah, he's got a good running back when he's healthy. Chris Carson. He's got pretty good weapons. But he's going to be looking at all the negative things as he sits back and watches and probably scowls. And I think that sitting back, that time sitting back, four weeks, six weeks, however long it is, that is going to put that ugly thought back in his head that he needs to get out of town. And this time, maybe he'll be a little bit more willing to do anything necessary to get out. We didn't see Aaron Rodgers do that this offseason. We are seeing Deshaun Watson do it, but he's got some other issues on his hand. We didn't see it from Russell Wilson either. You heard some complaints at the beginning of the offseason. Silence for a long period of time. This charade that everything was always fine and that there were never any issues after the fact as everyone came back to training camp. But I'm terrified about Russell Wilson's future with the Seattle Seahawks. And look, he's going to have to sit out games to get traded. At least in my opinion. If I were the GM, I would not trade Russell Wilson under any circumstances whatsoever. But I don't know that the Seahawks view it the same way. And I know that Russell Wilson is likely going to be seeing things the same way in the not-too-distant future. What a debacle on Thursday. The biggest story in the NFL right now has to do with John Gruden's resignation from the Las Vegas Raiders. If you don't know, over the last week, we saw a report from the Wall Street Journal that Gruden had used in the past a racial trope to describe NFLPA Chief Demora Smith. That was the headline from the Wall Street Journal. Then after that, the New York Times found that John Gruden in emails made homophobic and misogynistic remarks, many of which were about Roger Goodell. Interestingly, all of these messages were discovered as a byproduct of an ongoing investigation into Washington football team because John Gruden was sending a lot of these messages to former Washington football team team president, Bruce Allen. John Gruden has always been a two-face, and I have never understood why he has not been called out as such nationally. Did you see some of the Bobos sticking up for this guy on national TV? Tony Dungy. Mike Tirico. I don't get why. Now, I'm sure that they had great one-on-one relationships with John Gruden. I'm sure that face-to-face, when he joined the media world, that John Gruden was always a charismatic personality that probably made you feel great. Whenever I saw him on Monday Night Football and heard him sing-songy and sunshiny about just about every player in the league, look at the sheriff right there, I couldn't help but think about when I was in high school in St. Petersburg, Florida, hearing the way that things ended between him and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It was ugly. John Gruden's not that good of a football coach, despite having this unbelievable profile. I mean... He's definitely one of the most famous coaches in the NFL and has been for quite some time. Part of that has to do with that Monday Night Football profile, but back in the early 2000s as head coach of the Raiders and then with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where he won his Super Bowl in his first year, everybody loved the guy. He was young, charismatic, looked like Chucky, marketable, etc., etc. 
But as time went on for him in Tampa Bay, and as the players from Tony Dungy's defense, which he had built up in the late 90s in Tampa Bay, as those guys stopped being the players that they once were, the Bucs started running into trouble. And Gruden really never turned that Buccaneers team into what they thought that they were getting in John Gruden, what they thought they would get from John Gruden when they traded for him. I mean, they traded with the Oakland Raiders for John Gruden in an offseason. And look, they won a Super Bowl in that first year. It worked out for that first year. But Gruden's always had a reputation as this two-face. And sending messages and emails behind people's back? Isn't that exactly what you expect from a two-face? There was an article in 2018 that was written by Connor Orr of Sports Illustrated. Syracuse guy. I'm going to read a couple of passages from it. Gruden is at once inspiring, complicated, two-faced, and hysterical. He is forthcoming and perhaps a little hard to trust. So you hear some of the positive words there. Inspiring, hysterical, but two-faced. Perhaps a little hard to trust. That's a lot of coaches in the NFL, to be perfectly honest. But we're talking about John Gruden, the guy who everyone was welcoming into their home for Monday Night Football broadcasts and thought, oh, look at this goofy NFL coach. Man, he just loves football, doesn't he? He's just a football nerd. Uh, There's a little more to every single character than just that. Some of the things that I remembered hearing about John Gruden when I was living in Tampa Bay was highlighted in this Connor Orr piece. His tendency at times to bash a player who is not present at a meeting and then later speak warmly to that player on the field or in the hallway was a trait that some saw as a fault in Gruden. Phil, excuse me, Chris Sims said that this showed observers the flaw in the human side of John Gruden. Sims in particular had a pretty bad experience with Gruden, which I very well remember. Chris Sims was the quarterback after Brad Johnson for the Bucs. And, you know, he's Phil Sims' son. There's a lot of potential there. Played pretty well. But in the middle of the game, he ruptured his spleen. (laughs) And Sims did not have a great relationship with John Gruden, which you hear about after the fact. But you heard some rumors about it, especially as you got closer and closer to John Gruden's end. Sims said, that Gruden tried to run me out of town 10 months after I almost died on the field by telling reporters he was healthy, but just not practicing well. Minutes later in the interview, Sims added, I found myself randomly thinking about him one day years later. It was kind of fucked up how he treated me at the end, but there were a lot more positive times and growth that I didn't forget about, so I found his number and sent him a text. A complicated relationship. And I know a lot of former NFL players who had a complicated relationship with their head coach. And you can understand why relationships would be so complicated because those guys are determining whether or not they have a roster spot and you don't really get to control when you end up retiring in the NFL. But Gruden and this two-faced nature continued with Sims past just this story about running him out of town 10 months after he died on the field. It goes back to during his rookie season when Sims said Gruden would ask NFL films to Mike Sims during practices. Then he would throw him into the huddle without warning, watching to see if he would stumble through one of the coach's notoriously complicated play calls. Sims said of his career later on, the games were easier. I didn't have this psycho five feet behind me yelling at me all the time. 
A lot different than the guy that we see on Monday Night Football, right? So I didn't like the guy when he was in Tampa Bay. I definitely didn't like him on the ESPN broadcast because I knew that this was a guy who was extremely, I would say, abrasive at best, (laughs) if not an outright dick, talking to some of these players at times or talking about them behind their backs at times. You see a guy like this thrust into a Monday Night Football role, you would think, okay, well, this guy's not going to hold back. He's going to take shots at people that he doesn't think are playing well. That's what I was hoping for when he was brought aboard the Monday Night Football broadcast, and he was never that. He was this totally different character than everything that we had ever heard about him coming out of Tampa Bay. And it's interesting to note that in that 2018 article written by Connor Orr, if you ask most of the guys who played for that championship Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, they did not have very fond memories of John Gruden. One of those guys is Keyshawn Johnson in that 2018 piece. He said this, and he's the only person that has been open about John Gruden at all. In 2018, quote, I don't know, well, other than Chris Sips, quote, I don't know who, but I could certainly tell Gruden wasn't as genuine as the media wanted him to be. And I get the media and what they buy into, and I believe that John is a good football coach, but I think because of the media and the way they portray things, they make you think he has all the answers, which he clearly did not. I tweeted this out towards the end of last year before the Raiders finished 8-8. Eight and eight. John Gruden was 18-29 and 29 going into year number four with the Raiders, which began, of course, this year. Tom Cable was 17-27. and 27. He had Jamarcus Russell as his quarterback for 20 games. Tom Cable, we are all very familiar with him from his time with the Seattle Seahawks. And let's take a look at the way that Gruden's teams finish out seasons. In 2003, they're the defending champs. They started 4-3. and three. They finished 7-9. and nine. In 2004, they started 4-6. and six. Not a very good start. They finished 5-11. and 11. In 2007, they started 8-4, and four, finished 9-7. and seven. In 2008, they started 9-3, and three, finished 9-7. and seven. In 2019, they started 6-4, and four, finished 7-9. and nine. And of course, last year, they started 6-2. and two, And then they finished the year 8-8. Eight and eight. Any other coach gets fired. But John Gruden, who gets a 10-year, $10 million a year contract from the Raiders to lure him away from the Monday Night Football booth, was 45-51 and with Tampa Bay, 22-31 and with the Raiders. Getting paid $10 million a year for a 45-51 and record, that is ridiculous. Being 22-31 and for three seasons, excuse me, uh, where are we at? Three and a third seasons? I mean, most coaches would be fired by then. Three years? The last one's at 500? Zero playoff wins in his last 10 years as an NFL coach? Why wasn't he fired? Is it all about that personality? Is it all about the rock star persona that he has as an NFL coach? So, I remember Keyshawn Johnson saying that in that article. And I knew that Keyshawn Johnson had issues because of the way that things ended with him in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That was my freshman year of high school, and I remember that Johnson was randomly deactivated, and then that was it. I mean, he, he ended up getting traded, I believe, to the Dallas Cowboys. And it was weird. I mean, he, he, they, they just stopped playing him. And I wondered, okay, what is it? And, you know, Keyshawn Johnson, probably some of it was created by himself, the rancor between the two. But he's been one of the few people that's been willing to say anything bad about Gruden. Now, all of a sudden, you're hearing it from everybody. And this is what drives me crazy. 
Because I, I don't get what everyone was defending John Gruden for. Oh, because he's on Monday Night Football? Because he had a lot of clout at ESPN or something like that? Why was everyone so afraid to go after him until now? When it's so convenient and it's so easy. The guy sucked as a coach. <laughs> and he was two-faced as a person. What are we defending here? Now all of a sudden this all comes out. And it's part of, an NF, of course, an investigation into Washington football team. So it distracts from the sideshow <laughs> that is now the Washington football team, which has been an organization where its owner is under investigation for essentially like <laughs> distributing pornography in a way to, of, of some of his team's cheerleaders to other business executives and trying to set people working for him up to sleep with other business ex- executives. I mean, that should be the forefront here. Instead, the forefront is John Gruden making a bunch of comments 10 plus years ago. And all of them are terrible. I'm not defending any of them. But the guy kept the job for all of this time and was loved by everyone all of this time. Why? Keyshawn Johnson doubled down saying over the last couple of days, quote, man, this dude is a fraud. Y'all don't seem to understand. He's been selling you on something and you're buying it. He's been doing that for years. Yes. Talking behind people's backs. That was one of his traits in Tampa. I heard about it and I was living there, but why didn't that become a bigger thing? He's just always been a fraud to me from day one. He's a used car salesman and people bought it. Continued Keyshawn Johnson on ESPN this week. Okay. Like, Someone's being honest about it. Where is everybody else? And this is something that happens in in politics and sports and whatever. People are so scared to jump on somebody first. Sometimes it needs to happen. I've been for a while ragging on John Gruden, both as a broadcaster and as a coach. I I never have understood it. I mean, he's a cartoon character. Okay, great, cool, wonderful, splendid. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> if I'm watching football, I, I, I don't want sunshine. I want criticism. I want guys, who, and, and we don't see really a whole lot of it outside of for maybe Aqib Tlaib, but I don't want bullshit. <laughs> I don't want fluff. And I also don't really want to hear from a head coach who had one good season, and it was because he ended up taking over Tony Junji's Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, which is one of the best defenses in NFL history. Before I move on from John Gruden, The Buccaneers are patting themselves on the back in a way because since John Gruden does not reflect their values, they removed him from the Ring of Honor, which is ironic given that the team has worn sap in their Ring of Honor prostitution, uh, harassment, battery on his record, and Antonio Brown, who they signed while he was under investigation for sexual assault. Oh, I mean, those guys are fine, but email sent by John Gruden 10, 11 years ago, that's not okay. And this is one of the things that, look, I'm not, I'm not all of a sudden saying, oh, cancel culture is the worst thing in the world. I'm not saying that. Not at all. I do think that sometimes we are going way, 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 way too far when it comes to going back in time and seeing things that people have said and saying, oh, this person needs to be punished now. I mean, like, especially when it comes to dead people. Like, those people are dead and gone forever. Like, oh, wow, yeah, their, their legacy is tainted. They're fucking dead. Who cares? But in this situation right here, the Buccaneers are embarrassing themselves. Like, what does this accomplish? Hey, Seattle Mariners. What's going on, babe? Are you busy right now? We need to talk. You might want to sit down for this one. It's 2021 and you know, 
there's a lot of things going through my head. I'm 32 years old. I'm at a career crossroads. I want to try something new. And I'm not sure how you're going to take this. But think about this for a second. And how great it might be for you. What do you think about the idea of an open relationship? Yeah. And oh, oh, I'm not I'm not talking about for you. I'm talking about just for me. I bring that up because I saw it once on a dating app. This person and I, we had an interesting back and forth, and I asked her about the rules for it, and she said, yeah, uh, I'm in an open relationship, but it's just me and you. So she wanted a monogamous open relationship. <laughs> I don't know how the fuck that worked, but it got me thinking. I want that too. I think every man wants that. Open, relation, open relationships are weird. I once back in Houston went on a date with somebody who was in an open relationship. I was very attracted to the person, but also I just thought it was an interesting story that I'd be able to talk about after the fact. We went on yoga. Uh, we went to yoga for a first date. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I'm not going to lie. I probably spent more time staring at her than I actually was paying attention to the actual yoga side of things. She was in very good shape. We had like conversations afterwards. She went to a very good school. We had nothing in common, and I think she thought I was a total idiot, which I am. But when that happened, I thought to myself, open relationships must be really interesting. And you know, Seattle Mariners, I, I, I know you're sitting here. I know I'm rambling, as I always do, but I want an open relationship. A monogamous open relationship, because again, you don't get to do it, but I do. And it's with my ex. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but look, this way, I had to make both you and my ex happy because I'm there for both of you. Now, the ex is your cousin and or sibling. I'm not really sure what the blood relationship is, but... What do you say, Seattle Mariners? I have both you and the Houston Astros in my life. Is that allowed? I mean, I think it's a great idea because this way I get to enjoy the baseball team that is in my current hometown who is frisky and, and young and just is, is so excited about the future. But then, you know, I've got my ex who, a little toxic, may or may not have cheated that one time, you know. But I'm willing to overlook it because, like, we had 2017 and oh, what a hot night. What a hot year that was. So I'm just, I'm just putting that out there, okay? Let me know how you feel. You can get back to me whenever. Why are you looking at me like that? I mean, it's not like I said anything extremely controversial. 
Am I allowed to do it? I mean, we, we see people in New York acting like they're a fan of just one team or the other, but they always root for the other team when the other team is playing in a big-time game because they're frauds, you know. So, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't see why I can't do it. People in the biggest city in the country are doing it. I mean, New York, you know? I mean, they're ahead of the curve. Trendy. So, you think on it. I mean, I'm going to do it anyway, but you think on it. I'm going to stick to talking about a team that some of you are going to say are a bunch of dirty, rotten cheaters. And other of you listening love those Houston Astros because they've been accused of cheating once again. And guess what? They cheated. I mean, they cheated back in the day. Trash cans and all. They're not the only team to have been cheating. Lots of teams were doing it. The Red Sox definitively. I think the Yankees were doing it. I think that the Los Angeles Dodgers were doing it. Plenty of other teams were doing it. You can't tell me otherwise. But the Astros are the ones that people are always going to talk about as winning that World Series in 2017 with an asterisk and blah, 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 blah. You know, bitter feelings, all of that stuff. And you hear the bitter feelings all the time for the whiny New York Yankees and you hear it, you heard it from the Los Angeles Dodgers before they won the World Series. And now, in a way, you're hearing it from the Chicago White Sox. So... The Astros did a pretty good job offensively throughout their series against Chicago, which they won in four games. After game three, the White Sox, though, finally broke out a game at home. They scored 12 runs. They win 12-6 before they got shelled 10-1 on Tuesday. After the game, game three, Ryan Tapera, a White Sox reliever, implied that maybe the Astros are up to their old tricks. He didn't accuse them of cheating definitively, but since the Astros were hitting well at home, he was of the mindset that maybe something different was going on, even though they scored again six runs in game three, which is the same amount of runs that they scored in game one at Minute Maid Park. Tapera, you play at Minute Maid, they're doing something over there that's a little different. It showed, how, it showed you how many swings and misses they had tonight compared to at Minute Maid. They've obviously had a reputation of doing some sketchy stuff. So he puts that out there. Here is what bothers me about accusations of cheating against teams that have cheated in the past. They're easy to do, right? Really easy to do. And as a, te- as a guy who has grown up rooting for the New England Patriots, who cheated, allegedly, with Deflategate, I don't buy that one. But with Spygate, yeah, something was going on, but it was more so about the placement of the cameras than anything else. I really don't think it provided them that much of an advantage, blah, 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 whatever. Let's get back to the main topic here. Teams that accuse others of cheating, it's a way of shirking your own responsibility for losing. I hate it. Maybe it's because I'm a little bit biased in this situation, but... I can't help but think when I hear Ryan Tapera saying that, as the White Sox now will sit at home and watch the Houston Astros play in their fifth straight American League Championship Series, I can't help but hear the exact same things that were being said by members of the 2001 St. Louis Rams, who the New England Patriots upset 20-17 in Super Bowl 36 for their first ever Super Bowl victory. There was a report that came out, and it was retracted because it was found to not have a lot of evidence to back it up, that... In 2001, the Patriots had been filming the walkthroughs of the Rams before the Super Bowl. The Boston Herald, which posted this story, 
ran a retraction. But don't tell any members of the St. Louis Rams about that. Kurt Warner wondered why, how the Rams could have possibly lost in that game. He's not been so direct with the accusations. But Marshall Falk, since disgraced for sexually harassing people uh, who worked at the NFL Network, Marshall Falk was constantly accusing them of cheating and acted as if there's no way that the Rams could have lost that game unless the Patriots were up to something fishy. And it totally absolves the Rams, at least in their own minds, of how they lost that game. And for those who haven't watched it, I've watched it a million times because it's essentially porn to me. They lost it on their own. Kurt Warner's interception to Ty Law was one of the stupidest throws I've ever seen. He just threw it straight up in the air towards one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. What did you think was going to happen? Easily steps underneath it, runs it back for, an inter- uh, for a touchdown. Ricky Prohl fumbles over the middle of the field. Helmet goes right into his chest. Ball pops out. Another interception later by Otis Smith. Shoot, uh, Kurt Warner fumbled on a scramble going to his right. Did not even see Marshall Falk, who was being held by Willie McGinnis on that play. He fumbles it to Bucky Jones, returns it for a touchdown. We almost had a route on our hands in that Super Bowl. He gets called back. Game gets very close down the stretch because the Rams offense is really, really good. But they lost that game because of their own mistakes. And yet because of a headline that comes out, they see that and they're like, oh, well, we couldn't have lost it. This is why I hate cheating accusations going forward. You've seen the New York Yankees act as if the only reason that they did not win a World Series with this core of young players that they've had over the last couple of years, and some old players, because Brett Gardner's like a thousand years old, constantly talking about how the Astros like jobbed them, cheated them out of winning a World Series. You guys have choked just about every single year that you're in the playoffs. How about looking at yourself in the mirror? How about looking at the fact that Aaron Judge has been pathetic in the majority of the playoff games that he's played in? And this is what you'll constantly get. Now, look, the teams that cheat, I guess they have to live with it going forward. But this is just such a convenient excuse for losers to throw out when they feel sorry for themselves, when they feel bad for themselves, when they feel like there's no way that they could have lost either. And I think that's bullshit. You lost because you lost. End of story. And that applies to you, Chicago White Sox, too. Big thanks to everybody who tuned in to this Tuesday's edition, very late Tuesday edition of the Galan Says Podcast. Really, I appreciate you sticking with me. The technical issues on Friday, they sucked. Finally got them taken care of earlier this afternoon. And I hope that you enjoyed the episode. If you haven't already, please leave a five-star rating, a nice little review on iTunes or however you get your podcasts. Tell a friend. So long, farewell. You'll hear me again on Friday.